I'm Jeffrey Rosen, President and CEO of the National Constitution Center, and welcome to We the People, a weekly show of constitutional debate. The National Constitution Center is the only institution in America chartered by Congress to disseminate information about the U.S. Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. And today we take up the question of the week, if not the month or the year, the Constitution and religious liberty. Uh, this week, Pope Francis makes his first visit to the United States, which includes a concluding stop in Philadelphia, where he will give an address at Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg podium in front of Independence Hall, right across from the National Constitution Center. The Pope arrives at a time when the constitutional debate about the origins and meaning of religious liberty in the United States has reached a fever pitch. As we discussed on this show a few weeks ago, there are currently several lawsuits challenging the Affordable Care Act's contraception mandate. And recently, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in favor of religious objectors, setting up a circuit split and increasing the likelihood that the Supreme Court will consider the issue soon. Today, we focus on the aftermath of the Supreme Court's ruling this summer in the Obergefeld case, which recognized a right to marry for same-sex couples. Our listeners, of course, are familiar with the story of Kentucky clerk Kim Davis, who was briefly jailed for refusing to issue marriage licenses to gay couples. And there's also been movement in Congress. Some Republicans have introduced the First Amendment Defense Act, which would prohibit the federal government from taking action against a person or organization for acting in accordance with their religious and moral beliefs about same-sex marriage. And some Democrats have introduced the Equality Act, which would expand the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to include protection of individuals from discrimination on the basis of sex, sexual orientation, and gender identity. Here then is the issue before us. Does religious freedom necessarily conflict with LGBT rights? If so, which claim wins? Is there a way to ensure liberty for all? We are going to be discussing these questions at the Constitution Center in a blockbuster panel on the future of religious liberty. And joining me for that panel, and therefore here live in our beautiful National Constitution Center studios to discuss this issue, are the two world experts on this question, reconvening after a phenomenal matchup last year on Freedom Day. Christina Ariaga is executive director of the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. Before joining Beckett, she spent several years at the United Nations and at the Department of Housing and Urban Development. She's a frequent guest and commentator on religious liberty for NPR, MSNBC, and Fox, among many other outlets. And Greg Lipper is senior litigation counsel at Americans United for Separation of Church and State. He was part of the team that represented residents of Greece, New York, in Town of Greece versus Galloway, the 2014 Supreme Court case about government-led prayer that we discussed on this podcast. Greg is also lead counsel in cases about the Affordable Care Act's contraception mandate and Alabama's ban on same-sex marriage. Christina, Greg, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much for inviting us. I'm so glad you're here and looking forward to a great discussion. Christina, can you start us off by giving us some background on the proposed First Amendment Defense Act? What types of actions might be uh, prevented by it? And uh, do you think it's a good idea? Uh, sure, Jeff. Thank you very much. Uh, before we start, I want to say that Greg Lipper is my favorite frenemy. <laughs> I, I really enjoy having a robust debate and exchange of ideas. I'm going to put that on my resume. Good. <laughs> uh, and, and one of the reasons I love this country is precisely we can have these debates and, and not be arrested on the way out of the National Constitutional Center. So um, I love, love this country, love living in a free country. So... What does the First Amendment Defense Act does? Um, the First Amendment Defense Act is in the Senate currently, and by the way, they're still debating over certain 
parts of it in phraseology, but it's a fairly limited piece of legislation that calls for the federal government not to discriminate against individuals who think of marriage as a marriage between a man and a woman. Um, I think what the original intent of FADA and you know people in the side the Bellway call it FADA, I think the original intent was precisely to codify some of Justice Kennedy's statement in after a burger fell and and basically say that religious objectors can be reasonable and sincere and can act in good faith and there's a way to accommodate their concerns. Um, this hasn't gone to the House. Uh, the chances of passage are, uh, I believe, in doubt. Um, there has been a great debate about the merits of what is included in it. Um, do we think it's a good idea? At Beckett, we do not endorse pieces of legislation, but we always believe that anything that has robust protections for people of faith um, is something that should be considered seriously by Congress and by the uh, U.S. Uh, public at large. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that great introduction. Greg, uh, what do you think of the First Amendment Defense Act or uh, FADA? It sounds like that old Alan Sherman song, Hello Mudda, Hello Fada. <laughs> and uh, are you giving Fada a, a hearty hello? Or do you share the criticisms of some who say that it would allow all sorts of exemptions, including, according to one critic, it would allow federal contractors or guarantees, including those that provide social services like homeless shelters to turn away LGBT people and, and so forth? Are these criticisms overstated? Uh, I don't think they are. In fact, if anything, I think they're, they're understated. Um, the, the First Amendment Defense Act, which is a, I, I think takes the cake for an or, Orwellian title for a piece of legislation, would allow um, someone's desire to discriminate uh, not only against same-sex couples, but against anyone uh, who, has, who has sex outside of marriage. Um, basically would allow them to trump any existing federal anti-discrimination provision at all. No balancing, no weighing of interests. Just if you believe, uh, if you have a view about marriage equality, if you have a view about sex, uh, sex outside of marriage, that trumps it. So for instance, um, a nursing home that receives federal funds to care for uh, the elderly could deny visitation to the same-sex spouse of a patient there. Again, no balancing, no nothing. That's it. Even if that's the only nursing home in the entire city. End of story. Um, an employer because this applies not only to people, but to for-profit corporations. So Hobby Lobby could say, I'm sorry, one of our employees got pregnant outside of wedlock. That violates our belief that sexual relations are properly reserved to marriage, and so we're going to fire you, notwithstanding things like the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, and on and on and on and on. I think the legislation has the virtue of violating three different provisions of the Constitution. It violates equal protection because it singles out basically uh, gays and lesbians for adverse treatment. It violates the Establishment Clause because it allows re religious objections basically to trump any other interests. And I think it violates the Free Speech Clause because it privileges one side of the de debate. If you believe that sexual relations can take place outside of marriage, um, you receive no protection. And so uh, it, it really is a remarkable um, act of overreach. And the uh, inclusion of First Amendment in the title of the legislation is really, is really especially ironic. 
Well, thank you so much for jumping right into the debate. Christina, first, has Greg uh, accurately or inaccurately described the reach of the law? Do you agree with him that it would allow uh, hospital employees to turn away uh, you know, gay patients? And then do you agree or disagree with his statement that no fewer than three constitutional provisions are violated by the act? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it doesn't take a lawyer to understand that after Obergefell, there were concerns in uh, in America about the rights of religious workers and hospitals. Um, a few corrections. Uh, what Greg was talking about in Sex Outside of Marriage and, and, and so on and so forth was a moral conviction clause that we at Beckett also found problematic. And I believe that clause has been excised from the, at least the version I saw this morning. We don't know if when he goes to the House, it's also going to include that clause. Uh, we believe that what people do inside, uh, what two consenting adults do inside the four walls of their bedroom is their business. This is certainly not the government's business. But what what the intent of FARA is, and let's see how the fine, if the final language reflects this, is to protect individuals, organizations, or certain for-profits. And by the way, I love that you immediately throw uh, um, our client Hobby Lobby in that group. Um, it only includes closely held corporations. And what it does, it protects anyone who receives a federal grant. Um, should they also advocate for marriage between a man and a woman? So this is common sense. If you're a religious university, you're a religious group, if you're a homeless shelter, no, you are not given the right to turn um, an LGBTQ um, couple away, but you are given the right, and this is already protected under Title VII, to say we will hire people that agree with our way of viewing the world, with our religious views. Um, there has been an overextension in some of the language, uh, but I believe that the final version of the bill will have enough limit to its protections that we may end up with something that provides a balance. Uh, Greg, so is uh, Christina uh, correct that it was really the morals clause that you were objecting to and that's been out? And maybe also this is the time for me to ask you about this very interesting decision, March for Life against Burwell, in which Judge Richard Leon said that uh, the distinction between religious and non-religious nonprofits who hold moral objections to contraception doesn't pass rational basis review under the Equal Protection Clause, and you don't have to be religious. You just have to have a moral uh, objection in order to get an exemption. Let, let me take um, those two questions in order. So first of all, um, I'm glad to hear that there may be changes to the First Amendment Defen Defense Act coming. Um, I don't think they've been introduced publicly at this point. Um, but even if you take away the clause allowing uh, basically entire carte blanche to act according to your belief that sexual relations are properly reserved to marriage. Um, even if you simply extend it to the question of whether same-sex couples can get married, the problem with the legislation is it's not merely protecting people's rights to express those views, which are already protected by the First Amendment. It's protecting people's rights to act on those views, which is one thing in your family or in your house of worship, but quite another when you are a federal employee or whether you're a for-profit business. Um, you know, the fact that it's limited, for instance, to that will be limited to, for to uh, closely held for-profit corporations is not going to be much comfort to the more than half of American workforce that works for one of those closely held for-profit corporations. Nor is it going to be comfort to someone who's receiving services from a government contractor who can turn away a same-sex couple or can turn away the spouse of a same-sex, you know, a same-sex spouse. Um, nor is it going to be comfort to someone who needs a, say, tax return processed by a federal employee. And so the problem isn't protection for expression of those views, which is already protected. It's carte blanche, and it's not even. There's not even. I mean, for all we 
can talk about how RIFRA has been expanded beyond its intent. At least RIFRA purports to require balancing of interests. This so-called First Amendment Defense Act simply says, if you believe uh, marriage is limited to man and a woman and act on that belief, you trump any, uh, any conflicting uh, law, no matter, uh, no matter what the strength of the interest on the other side. And that's why I think it goes too far. Maybe before asking you more about Judge Leon, let me ask Christina to respond to, to that. Well, I think Greg gets to the crux of the matter, right? Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Um, by the way, I love their previous title was Protestant and Other Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Um, it was founded in 1947 as an anti-Catholic movement. Uh, it, it recently sent letters, by the way, to Philadelphia saying that they would be watching to make sure they didn't spend too much money when they host the Pope here. They did not, by the way, do the same thing when the Dalai Lama um, came in his last tour. Hopefully they won't do it again when the Dalai Lama comes here on October 21st. The crux of the matter is exercise versus worship. What is the purpose of being able to believe something if you're not able to live your life according to that belief? Uh, if I am a member of the LGBTQ community, no one in the United States expects me to live that life only in my house. Identity matters are serious and are considered by most Americans immutable. So the fact that a person believes at home that a marriage should be between a man or a woman or that a marriage should be between two men or two women is something that they should be able to express in the way they live, in their job, in their employment, uh, wherever they are. Of course, this is not limitless. There is no magic wand and no magic card that says religious views always win. That's why we have the balance test of RIFRA. And this is something that was very evident in the decision made Hobby Lobby. It was even more evident the decision made in Hosanna Tabor, which was a 9-0 decision in which Justice Kagan, in concurrence with Justice Alito, and she had just been the Solicitor General for the government just 12 months before, stated that religious groups create a very important buffer zone between uh, government overreach and civil society. There's a special place for religious observance and for religious view and for religious liberty in this country. Um, let me take on, because Christina spent very little time there talking about the First Amendment Discrimination Act, or First Amendment Defense Act, pardon for the Freudian slip, and, uh, and <laughs> went on to uh, say some things about my organization. Um, we're used to hearing that we're anti-Catholic or anti-religion simply because we support the separation of church and state. Um, the separation of church and state benefits people of all religions. That's why we have and continue to represent Catholics and people of many other faiths. Um, you know, for instance, we in a prison case, uh, we protected, we represented Catholics who are being coerced into practice uh, to practicing a different um, form of Christianity. And it turns out that the Beckett Fund was actually on the other side of that and wanted uh, to perpetuate a system in which a Catholic was coerced into practicing a different faith. So um, I'm, I'm glad you have chosen to level false attacks about anti-Catholicism to distract from the uh, discriminatory legislation you support. But I think that's uh, unfair to say the least. On the merits of the legislation, um, I think Christina said, right, that, that I, I hope she means this, but I'm not sure. She said gays and lesbians have a right to their identity outside their bedroom. That's exactly right. But what this legislation does, uh, this First Amendment Defense Act does, is say any laws that would protect you against discrimination in the workplace, in public accommodations, when receiving services, can automatically be trumped by someone's anti-gay beliefs. No balancing. There's no balancing. There's no compelling interest test. There's nothing. It is an automatic trump card. You know, we, I thought, had resolved these arguments in the 60s. Um, 
after Loving v. Virginia and, uh, uh, you know, said that uh, bans on interracial marriage were unconstitutional, uh, there was a Christian restaurant owner who said, I refuse to allow African-Americans into my restaurant because my religious beliefs tell, oppose the mixing of the races. His objection to the Civil Rights Act was shot down unanimously um, by the Supreme Court, who basically called his argument frivolous. And yet, if there was a First Amendment Defense Act that uh, protected people from discrimination based on their beliefs that marriage was between two people of the same races, he would have had a trump card. Um, so basically, efforts that were tried and rejected in the context of interracial marriage are now being resurrected in the context of same-sex marriage. It was wrong then, and it is wrong now. On that point, how would the First Amendment Defense Act apply to an institution that gives religious reasons for refusing to recognize interracial marriage? Would, would, would those Bob Jones arguments be resurrected and the government be prohibited from denying We don't believe so, and Beckett. In fact, uh, FARA does not enter into the realm of employment or public accommodations. And a lot of the other hot topics and hypotheticals we've talked about, what it does, it has to do with exempt status, charitable contributions, federal contracts, federal entitlement programs. Um, and, and as an aside, I, I'm not bringing up false claims against Americans United. I mean, your first executive director said that Catholics were more dangerous and clever than communists. He petitioned the FCC to deny uh, Jesuits access uh, Christina, to television. Uh, Christina, yes or no, do you think I oppose the First Amendment Defense Act because I'm anti-Catholic? Or do you want to bring up what someone said in 1948? Well, I think that you oppose the First Amendment Defense Act and you oppose diversity because it's the views of the Americans United for separation of, ch of church and state or no views. And it's important um, to so, talk about... Just so we're clear, do you think Americans United opposes legislation because we're anti-Catholic? Is that what you're saying? Or are you just... Uh, maybe, I don't know. You're certainly anti-Catholic. Uh, you're certainly anti-diversity. Uh, you're my, certainly... Uh, Christina, my Catholic mother would be very surprised to learn that I'm anti-Catholic. And I think what you're doing, and this is a, and this is a reason, by the way, that the broad coalition uh, in favor of religious liberty is breaking down, because you are now saying that religious liberty actually is about opposition to contraception and opposition to marriage equality. And anyone who supports equal rights, including tens of thousands of clergy, including ten, uh, thousands of clergy who signed a letter opposing the First Amendment Discrimination Act, uh, for the First First Amendment Defense Act. Are those people anti-Christian as well because they oppose it? Those clergy, you are you have a, a, a very narrow version of Christianity. You are entitled to that view, but don't tell me that people who support Thomas Jefferson and who support the separation of church and state are anti-Catholic. You know, I haven't accused you of being anti-gay for supporting legislation that would license anti-gay discrimination to everyone else, and I would uh, expect the same respect from you. Well, we have a huge and terrifying portrait of Thomas Jefferson gazing down on us benignly. And I think that he, this is an important discussion, but I think he'd want us to really focus in on the constitutional question. So let me try to do that. Christina, one of uh, Greg's most provocative claims is that FADA would violate uh, equal protection and the Free Exercise Clause and the Establishment Clause. Can you respond to those constitutional claims? Sure. We at Beckett believe that as currently drafter, drafted, FADA doesn't. But again, it's a bill that is still in the process of being drafted. Uh, we understand that the core idea was to give non-retaliatory protection to people who believe in marriage between a man and a woman, uh, between a man and a woman. And we do not know that the chances of passage are real either. Uh, however, we disagree with, with that statement. And and just because I think it's so interesting, and because we th this is a constitutional podcast, one more beat on why it would violate the the First Amendment, the Free Exercise and Establishment Clause. Sure, I'm not sure it violates the Free Exercise Clause. I think it violates the Establishment Clause because 
Um, there's a line of Supreme Court decisions that basically say religious accommodations are um, allowed and, in fact, appropriate in many, in many circumstances, but they have to take into account um, the interests of others, and they have to balance the burdens on, on others. And so when you have a situation in which a religious exemption is allowed to trump other people's interests with, without even a, a hint of balancing, that's the type of thing the Supreme Court has said is unconstitutional. So to give you an example, there was a law a few decades ago that said if you um, are religious, you are entitled to a day off on your Sabbath, period, full stop. Supreme Court said that violated the Establishment Clause because it didn't take into account anyone's interests, the interests of the employer, the interests of the other workers at that business. That's what's going on here. This says if you um, have a religious objection to marriage between a same-sex couple, your interests trump notwithstanding any other federal law, notwithstanding any other burden um, on anyone else. You know, whatever the, the so-called intent is, the, the text of the legislation gives you a trump card to ignore any federal protection against discrimination. And that's why, you know, as I said before, more than 3,000 faith leaders and clergy, including Christian clergy, sent a letter and said, this is not religious liberty. This is a perversion of religious liberty. Um, it's allowing religion to be a trump card um, to harm others with no considerations of their interests. And Christina, what is the response to that? We looked at this wonderful new religious liberty exhibit uh, right outside uh, of our studios at the NCC, and there are some who argue, some scholars, including Akilah Moore, our great National Constitution Center friend, that the Establishment Clause shouldn't apply against the states at all because it was meant to prevent the federal government from disestablishing state churches. I love to use my SAT word. It's an anti-disestablishment provision. Is that the Beckett Fund's <laughs> view, and is that the reason that uh, there's no problem, or do you just disagree with Greg that some sort of balancing is required? I, well, I think with my accent, I should not try to say... Uh, Anti-disestablishment. That's good. Oh, I got, I got well, There's a second part. The, the end of it, of course, is anti-disestablishmentarianism, which we could do, too. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> it's too far of a, of a uh, stretch for, for me and my, and my accent. Um, so the, the key question here is, do people that believe that marriage is between a man and a woman merit federal protection? And I think that the answer is yes. The key question is here, do we want to live in a country where there's a diverse uh, view, that, that we take diverse views, not only in their belief, but their exercise. We at Beckett represent Amish to Zoroastrian. We have defended goat sacrifice for Santeros. We believe that um, religious liberty is not only the, the, the First Amendment is, is protected, even if it's uncomfortable, if it's, even if the views of the religious conscientious objector is not a popular view. Um, what what my good friend here believes is that certain views are outside of that scope and that modernity basically takes over and no one is allowed to have those views or live according to those views. There's two ways the government gets it wrong, right? Um, the one way is when the government says everyone has to be Catholic or everyone has to be Anglican and, and otherwise you don't get um, to live uh, in this country. And the other way, of course, is to say your views are no longer popular. Marriage is now between a man and a man or a woman or a woman. Uh, your view is now no longer modern. Therefore, you will lose your tax exempt status. Therefore, you will not be able to do business with the federal government. Therefore, you will not be able to get federal grants for the university. That is wrong as well. There is no reason why we cannot accommodate those views. 
Uh, nothing in there says that a person who owns a restaurant can discriminate against a person because they're gay. Nothing. Nothing there. But the legislation says the government cannot, the way, the way it, it says the government cannot, quote, discriminate against anyone who acts on their belief that marriage is between a man and a woman. And it defines, quote, discriminate in a way that would preclude enforcement of the anti-discrimination laws. I mean, I agree with you 150% that we ought to protect people whose views uh, are that, you know, marriage equality is incorrect. That's why they're protected by the First Amendment. But what this is saying is that even if you're an employer, a for-profit employer, even if you're getting taxpayer money to provide a government service to citizens, even if you're running a public accommodation like a restaurant or a hotel, you can, under this law, discriminate without uh, without any balancing. If you think that's wrong, I'm glad, but you know, I'd encourage you to reread the legislation because that's what this legislation is doing. Let's put the other big question of the month on the table, and that is Kim Davis. And my question, uh, Christina, is would Kim Davis have been given protection for her actions under the FADA? Should government employees and their religious liberty be protected in the same way as private citizens' beliefs? Yeah, the Kim Davis question is a very difficult one because there is a certain dignitary harm that comes up. Being a gay couple, you show up to get a license. You're in a government office. You should be able to get that license, Right. But there have been, the state did not think it through, and they were obtuse about it. They knew that there would be magistrates that would not be able to do this according to their conscience, and they could have worked very simple accommodations into their plan. But instead of doing this, the government forced, the government forced this conflict. There was absolutely no reason. It was a piece of paper. Tell me that no one else in the entire state of Kentucky was able to give this piece of paper to this couple that were walking in. It, it, was, a, it was a bad situation. Look, if I show up to any government office to receive a government benefit, whatever it is, I don't want to be lectured from the other side. But by the same token, as every government employee has has to be able to do to have certain rights. For instance, people who are opposed to the death penalty can opt out of doing certain things associated with it. I mean, no prison guard is forced to participate in, well, um, in, the, in giving out the lethal injection if they don't want to and they're government employees. Why couldn't the state of Kentucky for get an accommodation going on this? And uh, Greg, your response right now, the licenses are being issued by Kim Davis's deputies. I think she's tacitly accepted this. Is that an adequate uh, solution? And would Kim Davis's refusal to sign the certificates have been shored up if FADA had been the law of the land? Um, so to take your second question, I mean, I think FADA could, you know, more accurately be described the Kim Davis Defense Act. And in, in fact, the National Organization for Marriage, which opposes marriage equality, um, said, and I quote, the Kim Davis situation was, quote, powerful evidence of why it is simply imperative that we enact the First Amendment Defense Act at the federal and state level. So I think Legislation like that is intended to um, protect Kim Davis. I think um, Christina is being a, a, a trifle generous to Kim Davis. Kim Davis um, could have said to her deputy, you know, I oppose this, so I'm going to um, allow you to, to issue these licenses. Um, instead, she closed her office, even when she was ordered by the court either to issue licenses or at least not stand in the way when her deputies issued licenses, she refused. Um, so Kim Davis has been offered many accommodations. Her latest thing, she's like crossed out the county's name from the licenses and saying um, under federal court order. So, you know, I think this is a thing where I, I don't think anyone would begrudge her a reasonable accommodation letting someone else in her office hand out the licenses. But she has um, rejected that at every term. And I think this is why, you know, a religious objection cannot trump automatically. Um, you know, the same 
Um, I, I certainly would not want my Catholic mother to walk into a government office and be told um, by someone of another religion, I'm sorry, I believe your religion is illegitimate. I am not going to serve you. Drive 100 miles to the next county. Um, I don't think Christina would support that. I certainly wouldn't support that. And I don't see why, um, because it's sexuality, uh, the rules should be the rules should be any different. I mean, she, Kim Davis has been offered multiple accommodations. The only question is, will she accept one? Christina, as you you began by noting that it's a complicated question, would FATA make it harder to deal with this in a nuanced uh, way, and would require future Kim Davises to to get exemptions? As drafted, I don't think that that FATA would have protect her, her automatically. I don't think there would have been a trump card. I don't think she could have said, uh, I press the button of sacred religious exemption and then there's a cone of silence around her. Um, that doesn't happen. And it generally does not happen with any piece of legislation that protects religious objectors. That, that is not what our constitution said and that has not been the history of, of religious accommodations. And I'm glad that Greg brought up the example of going, you know, his mother, Catholic mother, going to an office and saying your, your religion is not legitimate. Well, in a certain way, that's what's happening with people who say, yes, you can believe this at home, but you cannot practice it anywhere and not even given the chance. I mean, the trump card now in Greg's world is coming from the other side. If you do not believe that a marriage with between two people on the same sex are, is is constitutional, then you cannot work here. And there has to be a way that a balance you, test can be provided. But, but that, you, know, you can work here. You simply can't turn people away. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, I, th I thought we had resolved this in the 1960s, but you can, to this day, if you believe that a black person and a white person shouldn't be shouldn't get married or shouldn't be allowed to get married, you can believe that all you want. You can you can stand in town square and advocate it. You can go on the internet. You can petition your congresspeople. What, what you can't do is if you say own a restaurant or a government official, turn an interracial couple away. And I thought that's a, a very clear – hold, hold on. It's a very clear distinction between advocacy and conduct when you are you know, working in an area in which we quite reasonably want to protect people from discrimination. When was the last time that happened? Well, that, that's exactly my point. That it hasn't happened because the courts in the 1960s said – Religious objection doesn't trump anti-discrimination law, but the arguments you're making here today are precisely the arguments that were rejected in the 1960s when it came to interracial Well, no, it hasn't, it, hasn't, it hasn't happened not because there was a law in the 1960s. I mean, there are laws against sexual discrimination. There are laws against sexual harassment. There are laws against discriminating against Latina women. It happens every day. There are jerks and bigots everywhere. The fact that there was a law passed some time ago against someone being able to claim that doesn't mean that people don't try to do that all the time. And the thing is, bringing all those horrific scenarios paints religious people as largely people that are going to bring unreasonable claims and they're going to claim that because it's religious is going to be resolved their way. And it doesn't happen that way in our history, in our constitution, or in our body of laws. It doesn't happen that way. Those are really scare tactics. Well, but no, but, but and I think this is actually a very important point. I'm not painting all or most religious people that way. As I mentioned, there are thousands of clergy that have written in opposition to the First Amendment Defense Act. But it is saying that Certain people whose religious beliefs say, you know, uh, gay couples should not be protected or interracial couples should not be protected or whatever else um, get to use that as, as a trump card. I mean, you keep saying, Christina, that there's balancing in the First Amendment Defense Act, but but where? Where is, no, the, I said where there's, is, there's where is balance, the balancing? There's balance in RIFRA, and we hope there will be balancing in FADA. And again, Beckett does not defend this law. We neither aid nor hinder the passage of any legislation in Congress. We won robust protections for 
uh, people who hold religious views, and we want robust protections for people who believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. And I'm not saying this. Justice Kennedy himself, you know, Bergefell's, made this a very explicit point. He didn't have to say any of, any of that. He didn't have to say religious people are reasonable. He didn't have to say that there are people in our community that believe this and do so genuinely. He didn't have to say all those things. Now, Congress has struggled to balance this out the same way that that we struggle to balance religious interests out. I mean, your organization is opposed to the Christmas stamp. Your organization is in, in, opposed to including the words on their God in the Pledge of Allegiance. Your organization is in God we trust. I mean, your organization wants to wipe out any religious view from the public sphere and send everyone home to their churches, their synagogues. Their, what we are, Beckett, are saying is there are ways to balance this out. And what my organization says, though, is that there's a great role for religion in the public sphere, but uh, it's not the government's job to impose it on other people. And I think that's an important distinction. Um, you know, the the original church-state separationist, there was Thomas Jefferson was one, um, but another was John Leland, who was a staunch, you know, a, a devout Baptist and believed that without the separation of church and state, um, people's freedom to believe and worship how they wanted would be compromised. So I understand, you know, we get the your organization hates God, you know, uh, card played against us, but but I, I think it's a canard. I did you know? not say your organization hated God. I mean, Glenn Archer, your first executive director, uh, see, said all we, these things, and then you got upset that I said it, so I'm not going to go back to well, that for fear of you getting uh, upset what again. What I got upset but was you, when you suggested that I oppose the, like, that, the, that although I joined 3,000 clergy in opposing the First Amendment Defense Act, it was actually because I'm secretly anti-Catholic. Yeah, I did take issue with that. Imagine that. Um, but I think, you know, getting back to the broader point, I think the, the what, what Justice Kennedy said in Obergefell is that um, people who have sincere beliefs or insincere beliefs for that matter that uh, marriage should be between a man or a woman have the right to advocate for those views. And that's protected by the First Amendment. Um, I would represent someone who was you know, punished by criminal law for not being able to advocate those views. But what Justice Kennedy certainly did not say um, and what other case law says is that the fact that you have a religious belief that uh, gay people shouldn't be able to get married does not mean you can violate anti-discrimination law. And I think that's the important distinction. Two uh, uh, final uh, questions. Uh, Greg, you mentioned the sincerity of a person's religious belief. Christina, how should the sincerity of religious belief be tested? What sort of standards should the government and courts use to test sincerity of beliefs? And when does a religious, when does a moral conviction become a religious conviction and not simply a personal preference? I'm so glad you asked that question because when you mentioned what Justice Kennedy said, sincere or insincere, sincerity is a key constitutional principle. And in fact, he mentions precisely religious objectors, sincere religious objectors. You cannot claim a belief if you don't sincerely believe it. And the, or you cannot claim the benefits that believe. You cannot have the church of whiskey and steak in prison. Uh, it simply doesn't work. I mean, you could try, but there are ways that the judge and the, where our laws test out whether you're sincere or not. There are, the Supreme Court in the past has talked, for instance, about conscientious objection to war. Uh, based on religious belief or just based on conscience. I mean, there are many ways that we can talk about sincerity claims, but it is a very fair question when someone makes a religious claim and someone wants to be protected as a religious objector to ask that person, are you sincere or are you not sincere? Does that answer? Uh, it does indeed. Do you agree? I, I, I do agree. And I think, um, you know, I think obviously religious exemptions to the, ex to the extent they're available are available only for sincerely held religious beliefs um, on the one hand. I think on the other hand, 
courts have been, and I think for the most part, wisely hesitant to delve too deeply into questions of sincerity, because especially with, for instance, religious minorities or people whose views are less um, familiar, uh, we're less familiar with, there's always a risk that a view that is unfamiliar will be deemed insincere. Um, I will say, I think, if anything, the pendulum has, however, swung too much in the opposite direction. And the, the contraception litigation, I think, is an example where um, the government and the courts would have been maybe wise to probe sincerity a little more. So, for instance, Hobby Lobby, which was Christina's client and the, the lead party in the Supreme Court contraception case, had actually covered, um, basically until 2012, had covered the very um, drugs and devices it purported to object to on religious grounds. And even today, it invests its employee 401k plan in those devices that it claims to object to on religious grounds. Unfortunately, the government didn't probe sincerity, and so we don't know exactly what was going on there. Um, but I think this is, you know, there is a concern that RIFRA and other religious freedom statutes will be used as sort of a broader weapon in a culture war that actually doesn't have anything to do with religion. And the sincerity doctrine can be a check on that, um, but only if it's invoked. Last big issue is the Equality Act. It is pending in Congress. I'll start with you on this, uh, Greg. Um, uh, would the Equality Act, uh, if it passed, uh, clash with uh, with FADA? Would religious organizations like churches be exempted from the Equality Act? Um, how would we reconcile the two? Sure. So the Equality Act actually is building on existing civil rights law. So the Civil Rights Act, which covers, um, which prohibits discrimination in employment, in public accommodations, um, in housing, in government-funded programs, in a variety of ways. Um, the Equality Act would do two things. First of all, it would add sexual orientation as a category to all those things. So it wouldn't affect churches because churches have the right to discriminate against uh, whoever they want. What it would do, excuse me, what it would do, however, is simply add sexual orientation. So the businesses, um, public accommodations, employers who are already uh, covered by the Civil Rights Act would simply, it would simply add sexual orientation to that list. It would also add gender to public accommodations. So for instance, as it stands now, a restaurant could charge women twice as much as it charges men, um, that would be prohibited. And it also extends public accommodations to um, fill in sub gaps. So as it stands now, for instance, a cab driver could refuse to carry African Americans or Muslims or Catholics um, or Jews or whoever. And so it would um, you know, add transportation and financial services and some other types of entities. So all we're doing is building on the existing Civil Rights Act. It isn't, you know, we hear a lot of these horror stories about priests are going to be carted off to jail. Not at all. It's simply saying if you're already covered by the Civil Rights Act, we're going to modernize the Civil Rights Act by including sexual orientation and also including gender where it had been left out in the past. Christina, what do you think of the Equality Act? And I, I gather that there are some supporters of FADA who also want to protect against discrimination against gays and lesbians. Can the two principles be reconciled? Sure, there are many members of the coalition of FADA that agree that no one should suffer discrimination in their employment or in their housing uh, simply because they're gay, simply because they have an identity issue that defines them in a different way. However, right now and again, it's being modified, so I hesitate to, to carve things in stone. We think of the Equality Act as a as a lose lose proposition. It is true that ministers, priests, rabbis are currently protected by uh, a Supreme Court case called Hosanna Tabor, which says that the government cannot intrude in the hiring or firing of 
of ministers and, and priests. However, if a church holds, um, let's say the church uh, allows AA to use its basement or allow, allows the Boy Scouts to use their basement, then they would be deemed, it, the definition of public accommodation would extend to them, and then they would also have to uh, hold meetings for the LGBTQ community, and they would also have to uh, maybe host groups that they're not in agreement with. Um, other religious ministers that provide critical services for the homeless, uh, for instance, could also be forced out of business because they would not be able to run their ministries uh, consistent to their religious beliefs. And this is even if they don't receive federal funding. Um, this is a matter, again, of allowing diversity, allowing uh, religious groups to uh, the, all the rights afforded, not only under Title VII, but under the First Amendment. They should be able to function according to to their own beliefs. Um, Greg brought up the contraceptive litigation, and I think it's important also in this context of, of creating space for religious objectors. The the Green family, the, the owners of Hobby Lobby, were people that um, were extraordinarily sincere. They closed their, um, their stores on Sunday. They provided their employees with a generous health benefit. They only objected to four out of 20 FDA um, approved drugs. Um, I know that Greg will argue whether or not those four drugs are abortifacients or not. Um, uh, the government itself had mentioned, had said in the labels that these drugs were abortifacients, and the Supreme Court ruled that they had, they had a, a, a right to to live according to their deeply held beliefs, and they did not lose this right when they started a, a business. Um, the Green family gave, paid their employees, signed a paycheck, and gave it to them, and they didn't care what the employees did with the money. They didn't care where the employees were investing the money. It, they didn't want to rule that. They didn't care if their employees spent their money on on contraceptives. Um, in America, we allow religious ministries, religious people to, again, have the space to live truly according to their religious beliefs. I don't I don't think there is a necessity for the Equality Act. I'm saddened to see it in Congress, and I hope that it is um, amended to include protections for homeless ministries and churches. Wonderful. Well, and so that we can prep for our great panel, which will be hard-pressed to be a rematch of this incredible discussion because this has been so good, it's time for closing arguments. Greg, uh, tell us why you think the First Amendment Defense Act is a bad idea and violates the Constitution. Sure. I think the First Amendment Defense Act is a bad idea because it takes one viewpoint held by certain you know, people, on, on mostly on religious grounds, but and says that view, not just that view, but your ability to act that way trumps any other interest. So if you don't like a same-sex couple, if you don't like a couple that had sex out of wedlock, um, you can ignore any federal law, any federal anti-discrimination protection, period, Full stop. Um, it is. It singles out gays and lesbians for disfavor in the same way that the Colorado anti-gay ordinance did in the mid-90s, which was struck down by the Supreme Court um, in an opinion written by Justice Kennedy. You know, think about all of the different views people have about marriage, about sexuality, or all of the other different religious views, and all of a sudden, one particular religious view is a trump card um, against any conflicting federal law um, that. You know, as I said, it violates not just the Equal Protection Clause, but it violates the freedom of religion and it violates the freedom of speech. Great. And Christina, last word to you. Why do you think the First Amendment Defense Act is a good idea and does not violate the Constitution? We believe that providing robust protections and anti-retaliation uh, mechanisms for individuals who want to do business with the government but still believe marriage should be between a man and a woman uh, is a good idea. We neither endorse nor you know, support 
uh, neither endorse nor oppose FADA right now. We're hoping that the final language will reflect its true spirit. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Christina Ariaga and Greg Lipper, for a vigorous and illuminating uh, debate about the most uh, important and hotly contested constitutional issue of our time. Uh, today's show was engineered by Jason Gregory and produced by Nicandro Iannacci. Research was provided by Joshua Weinberg and Daniele Evans. Get the latest constitutional news and continue today's conversation on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash constitutionctr, and on our Twitter feed at constitutionctr. We want to know what you think of the podcasts and your questions, comments, and suggestions to editor at constitutioncenter.org. Please subscribe to We the People on iTunes. Just search for us in the iTunes store. While you're there, leave us a review. It helps other people discover what we do. Please also subscribe to Live at America's Town Hall, and that's where you can hear the great rematch of Christina and Greg. That's a new podcast featuring lectures and debates presented here at the National Constitution Center across Independence Hall in Philadelphia. The most recent episode features my conversation with Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer about his new book, The Court in the World. That was on Constitution Day, and what an extraordinary and memorable day that was. We the People is a member of the Panoply Network. Check out all of our sibling podcasts at itunes.com slash panoply. And finally, despite our inspiring congressional charter, the National Constitution Center is a private nonprofit. We receive little government support, and we rely entirely on the generation of people around the country who are inspired by our nonpartisan mission of constitutional debate and education. Please consider becoming a member to support our great work, including this podcast. Visit constitutioncenter.org to learn more. And please join us again next week. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Jeffrey Rosen.